hello, I'm Oliver Wise. I'm Eleanor Hansen. And it's February 21st, 2010. We're speaking with Ingrid Burrington, the 13th artist for the present group. She's in Baltimore, and we're in Oakland. Hi, Ingrid. Hi, guys. Let's start by having you describe the project, this project, and the CMC in general. The CMC is the Center for Missed Connections, which is a, uh, a think tank that is composed of me and um, people who I convinced to maybe help me sometimes in researching the demographics and um, key uh, elements of misconnections posts on um, Craigslist. Primarily, I had been working on this project by compiling data, reading misconnections posts a lot and taking extensive notes in spreadsheets about them for the New York Craigslist, mostly because there were more posts there pretty much than on any Craigslist in the country. And for this project, I used kind of a mix of material I already had about New York City misconnections and then did a little experiment where I compared and contrasted a single day's worth of misconnections posts for five different cities across America as a sort of field guide introducing uh, people to the study of misconnections as a um, pseudoscience, I suppose you could say. And the, in addition to that booklet, there is also a, a work booklet that um, offers a template for individuals who might, you know, following reading the, the field guide to misconnections, want to observe ones that they encounter in their everyday lives. I guess that sums it up. Yeah. Anything else? So you're just sort of trying to spread a new scientific area? So. Um, it's a, I, I guess if it's a science that's closest maybe to like, anthropology maybe which i guess isn't really a science um it's a as a science uh it's it's kind of a loosely organized one because it requires me basically to just really carefully read a lot of things on the internet um <laughs> that tend to like i was surprised by how quickly patterns emerged within the whole I don't know, world of misconnections. Like uh, one of the elements of the, the booklet that I made for this issue is this flow chart that just ex breaks down different types of misconnections that uh, one might have. And I mean, a lot of that is based on, you know, months of reviewing data, but you could pretty much come to the same conclusions after about a week. Hmm. It's it was it's been kind of interesting to notice the um, I guess the patterns of loneliness on the internet, and by extension, I guess, the greater world. Yeah. Um, think tanks tend to have an agenda. What would you say the goal of the CMC is? Um, I guess the agenda of the of the CMC is to um. Is. Maybe to um to improve the relations between the um, the online loneliness that misconnections as like a web space governs and uh, the real life loneliness from which those misconnections um, kind of emerge. Because 
I, I mean, doing kind of cursory examination of sort of a history of misconnections. Initially, there, this is kind of, I mean, it's more like folklore, I guess. There's no like hard proof of this, but it's initially people would post like literal flyers and ads like on bulletin boards saying, I saw you in this, on the street corner or in this place. And I think we had a moment and then it moved into newspaper classifieds and then it moved online. And I'm interested, I guess the, the CMC is interested in um, the trying to, to find some way to, to bring some of those online moments back into to reality. And one way I guess to do that is to visualize those online experiences, say, as a map or a chart. Do you, do you think that cities are especially lonely places? Or is it just that there's a way, you know, through Craigslist or whatever, for people to, in cities, to express their loneliness in a public fashion? That's interesting, because I, I think that looking at different cities, you kind of, the loneliness if like our gauge of loneliness is just volume of misconnections posts, the more, I guess, urban and dense a city is, the, the lonelier it is. So, you know, more people, more, um, more problems. Is I that guess. percentage wise or is that just quantity? Um, I'm sorry. Like, is it percentage of posts compared to number of people or is it, um, just total, um, just total, total number of posts total number of posts versus actually maybe more like not just population number but population density hmm. um so the more people you have in a space well like one of the places in new york city that has a lot of misconnections posts is union square and union square in and of itself is not a very romantic place <laughs> i would say at all it's it's crowded it's loud and it's very busy, but in a way that's, that's why it would seem so only is because you kind of literally are like lost in the crowd. And I think that, uh, is interesting looking at different cities and seeing how, um, I wouldn't say they're less lonely, but maybe there's less of a, less of an impulse to maybe go to a site like Craigslist in cities that are maybe more spread out because, mm -hmm as a resource maybe it's just not used as much like i have to i'm not sure i would love to look into like the traffic in general on craigslist for different cities how frequently it's used in different places in relationship to um the size of the city right it's interesting that you can map physically where these instances of misconnections take place but then also the space of Cra craigslist itself is almost another location for these interactions it mm -hmm. seems like the gray area posts all fall into this category i was really surprised to find out that a third to a half of the posts were in this category where people are just sort of putting their loneliness out there on the internet without an actual connection to a person could you talk about these gray area posts a little bit sure the the gray area is that's a, a term i sort of coined for posts that can't really be located in a physical place either they're just really vague as you know just a general like I, I saw you somewhere but I can't give like a cross street or something or they're they're posts that are related to maybe a specific incident and this person is using the misconnection section to 
lament a lost love or uh, profess an unrequited love. And I suppose in that sense, like, misconnection refers maybe to like a missed opportunity or a hope for something that has not happened or will not happen. I think that Craigslist is a, a forum that kind of encourages that because, well, for a few reasons. First of all, because it's it's anonymous. You know, when, when you post something on Craigslist, your email address doesn't appear unless you want it to. So you can kind of freely make these sort of dramatic soliloquies online without really necessarily consequences. And then second, the posts disappear after, I think after like a thousand posts have gone up. So it's, it's equal parts like throwing a message into a bottle, throwing a message in a bottle into the ocean and throwing a message into a bottle into a black hole. Mm-hmm. The internet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the black hole of the internet. One thing I was thinking when I was reading the field book was that a lot of these connections that were supposedly missed might never have existed at all. <laughs> like, do you get a sense of the percentage of the posts that are sort of imagined or or a fantasy? Um, sometimes that's hard to tell. I mean, I I would believe that many of them are kind of fantasy especially the the ones that happen on say public transportation you know because you you stare at a lot of people when you're you know on public transit or i do anyway but i think the ones that are they're most obvious i think are kind of the sadder ones like there there are sometimes i'll see posts that are people looking for a specific person they met say at a bar or I don't know, some sort of social function. And they'll be like, I thought we really had a great conversation and I gave you my number, but maybe you lost it. I gave you my email. And and you kind of want to, to tell them, like, no, they, they probably just weren't feeling it, you know? I think one, I think one of the first ones I found that, that was of that type, this person said, I thought we were vibing. <laughs> it's like, oh, you weren't vibing at all. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to say like how many are imagined and how many are real because and and it, similarly it's unless the, you know and this may be someday when the CMC has has greater um resources maybe we'll do this is you can't it's it's pretty hard to um gauge how many people actually connect with a misconnection unless you personally contacted every post and said, "Hey, did it work?" So you kind of have to assume, I mean, you probably could assume the worst, uh, yeah. the worst being that they never heard back. Right. But then not all posters, I think, want to hear back. There's always those those posts that are sort of just, hey, you looked really hot today, stranger. <laughs> well, yeah, somewhere in there it said how misconnections are sort of just a way of re- recapturing a moment that you've lost. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, that's sort of... One of the reasons people do it by putting it in this sort of public record, it it validates it or it makes it real. It's sort of like how people share their photos on Facebook right after they go on vacation or something like that. Yeah, that that's a that's a good comparison. I would agree with that. The the field book, while it encourages people to start start living, 
It also encourages them to deliberately take them take themselves away from a situation where they might make an actual real connection only to pursue it later in the in the virtual realm mm -hmm. why would why would someone want to have a misconnection well well i would say it's it's kind of flattering actually i i mean like my actually my sister um recently found a misconnection that she's pretty sure was posted for her and i read it and i'm pretty sure it was for her too and um you know, it's it's just someone saying, like, redhead on the J train, keep it up. Like, you look really nice today or pretty. <laughs> nice. it's, it's just like someone said to me that it's, it's kind of like getting a compliment from the entire Internet. <laughs> and there's there's sort of that thrill because it's, it's also like it's in a sort of public discourse that you are, are the subject of someone's, like, secret interest. There's something kind of creepy and, and enjoyable about it I suppose. <laughs> do you get any sense of why the majority of the posts are written by men i really don't know actually mm -hmm. i mean maybe 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 men are um more maybe men stare at people more i don't know um i i think that one thing that i'm really still baffled by is just the the huge lack of women seeking women yeah mm -hmm. everywhere like looking at cities across the country there are just very few women seeking women who use misconnections or who post on it sort of a mystery i would say i don't know i uh, there's a lot of posts by men seeking men for the gym and i don't know if men who seek men go to the gym more than other men hmm. i'm still sort of trying to figure that out <laughs> What's next for the CMC? I'd like to really hunker down uh, with, with more of my data and look at the language a little more because I think that the, the, the phrases that are used in misconnections posts are really interesting, you know, the way that someone will be described because it, it seems kind of dire in some situations, you know, like I, I, I'm pretty sparing in describing things as say beautiful or amazing and thinking, you know, you see this total stranger and they're perfect. Well, they're probably not perfect. They're probably just a person, but, um, compare, like just looking at how, how dramatic the different terms are in posts kind of interests me further expanding, maybe looking at the gray area and trying to engage maybe more with, um, misconnections posters. I've had this idea for a long time of trying to, work with a misconnections poster to produce a um dramatic reenactment of their misconnection mm -hmm. you know go to the site of the event kind of like a civil war reenactment <laughs> i was doing a little research because we do a annotated links section for each piece and there is a an actress that makes these little short videos that reenact the misconnection themselves or it's the text of the misconnection or sometimes they like take it a little further and do a little bit of what happens afterwards or something <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> but it's it's not you know with the actual poster which i think is sort of interesting and i, I mean of course having to like go through an extensive casting process you know <laughs> what does it mean to act as a think tank as an artist do you do you look at other examples of people doing that sort of work 
Um, I think, well, a lot of the, the examples that I think I'm referencing or that I'm interested in, maybe um, they tend to be more, they, they tend to more resemble corporations than maybe uh, like pseudoscience. I'm thinking of maybe like Christine Hills um, or, or Andrea Zatel. Because the product that I, I am making as the CMC is um, maybe a little more immaterial. But I'm interested in that sort of that sort of a sense of authority that comes with saying that you're a, a research center or a institution when you're really just a, a person, because it sort of implies that there's there's some sort of larger body backing up your arguments and claims. Um, much of your work is collaborative, whether with other artists or with the public at large. Uh, how do you approach collaboration? How do I approach collaboration? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you say that much of my work involves it because I feel that I, I approach collaboration very tentatively. Hmm. I tend not to trust the public to always give back just right. because once you've kind of been doing things asking for public input and participation, you you pretty quickly learn that it takes a lot to get this so-called public to actually do stuff mm -hmm. um, <laughs> or, you know, interact with you. I think that the, one of the first things that I try to think about when I want to do something that engages strangers or a so-called public is how to, how to approach those people in a way that won't that will make them want to engage with it rather than kind of asking them to engage with the work. I think when collaborating with other people, I just have to be, I'm, it's mostly, I think a matter of uh, getting on someone's case. <laughs> I, I tend to be very, very, like, it's very important for me to like communicate with the, whoever I'm working with a lot. Could you explain to our listeners about your Tumblr, uh, Decker Finds? Oh, Decker Finds. You want to talk about it. That's yeah. so great. Um, yeah. Decker Finds is a Tumblr that I made in December. I, I work at the library of an art college, the art college I attended, actually, the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore. And... Um, I, one of my favorite things about working there is just all of the really weird titles that are in the collection. Because for an art school, of course, there are a lot of, you know, big catalogs and like life drawing books and other kind of relevant material related to art and art history. But then, you know, it's still a library. So they have to have, well, they don't have to, but they attempt to have certain things like a fiction section and books about science and travel guides and all things like that. And well, the library hasn't really weeded out old titles in a very long time. So there are a lot of really bizarre books that maybe in a, a regular public library wouldn't seem so strange, but in their particular setting are kind of surprising. And so basically I just take pictures of books that either come in or that, um, I find while shelving or that the student employees find while shelving. I've basically had to corner all of them and say, listen, I've got this blog. <laughs> See anything, you write it down. When I post each book, I include the call number because 
I mean, most of the people who read this blog are people related to the school. So I like to think of it as sort of an invitation to a library scavenger hunt um, <laughs> where they can find these particular titles and spend some personal time with them. <laughs> isn't, isn't the call number like a universal thing? Or is that something separate? It, it is. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's it depends on what kind of system your library uses because uh, the library I work at uses Library of Congress cataloging. So I, I suppose I could try to look up the Dewey Decimal conversion, but I'm not sure how to do it. I'm not, <laughs> sure if such a, I'm not sure if such a resource exists that translates LOC to Dewey Decimal. Do you see Decker Vines as part of your artistic practice? Um, not especially. It's sort of related to the way that I, I make things are just like in art is, is that I'm often like cataloging and collecting material. I tend to be very, sometimes I'm influenced by the, the books that I find, but I wouldn't say that it's so much an art project. Although I've been thinking about trying to organize a for real library scavenger hunt. That, that might be an art project you know so each book would have a different like clue in it to the next one mm -hmm. kind of inspired by some of the finds now that there's the internet what what is the role of the library oh we have this conversation a lot at the library actually um i think at the end of the day i think people still kind of need books um as there's sort of a, I don't know, a tactile comfort to them. And I think that the the library also just sort of offers a physical space for research and study and reflection that I think is very necessary. I mean, I can do research in my room and my room is pretty quiet, but there there's something really comforting about being in a space full of other people also quietly learning much of your work exists outside the gallery setting is this mm -hmm. an attempt to get your work away from the art context i think that a lot of my work is not in gallery settings or in an art context because i just have a lot of trouble getting into the art context mm. you know i think um I've, it's just not something that i'm very very like fond of pursuing and I don't know. I've, I, I like to kind of follow the principle that I'm of making objects that I can literally live with, you know, like not really, nothing really monumental, nothing that I couldn't maybe carry with my own two hands. So if I can live with it, it would be nice if others could live with it too. I've, I've really enjoyed running into things I've made in other people's houses for this reason. How do you feel about documents of performances ending up as the art objects i've had a lot of i don't know mixed feelings about that because um i i initially mainly was working kind of in performance and producing these documents that were sort of an afterthought but then i became more interested in just showing the documents in a way because um i think it's important like i tend to when documenting work just use photographs not video because i think that sometimes video gives a false impression that you've seen a work when fundamentally you still weren't there. I think that when, when the work becomes primarily based in documents, it's more like a story than an event. And I've, 
I generally enjoy storytelling. I think that that's sort of an impulse in a lot of the ways that I make things. So, um, what do you think about the Baltimore art scene? I think it's, it's really great if it's a, it's a, it's a very like close knit scene. So it's great if you already know people, I think that sometimes it's hard to, um, to get your foot in the door. Like with most, I think, small city scenes. Probably most scenes. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Scenes in general. I've often told people when they ask about Baltimore, it's a really good city if you're in a band. Um, <laughs> or if you make comics. <laughs> um, I think the music scene is a huge part of how the art scene functions. Is there a lot of connection between D.C. or New York? There's some to to both cities. Maybe honestly, maybe more New York than DC. But I think there's there's like a a lot more of a, a push to have local artists presented in sort of the gallery scenes and art scenes. So I guess there's also there's sort of a relationship to Philadelphia that's got stronger, I think, mm-hmm. recently. Is there much funding per, for public art there? There was. Then the economy exploded. There's, in a way, like, because Baltimore is a city that, that's pretty, you know, cheap to live in and kind of get by in. And so a lot of the people who are there making art are there because they just want to make it. Um, so one thing that is kind of nice about the art scene is it's not really governed necessarily by making a profit off of what you're making. It's people who are making their art because they can afford to just make their art in this city. What is the value of art? The value of art in, in general, in society for people. Sure. For people. Um, I would say the, I would, I am saying, um, the value of art, uh, for people is its potential to um i think present the possibility of things larger and beyond one's primary scope i guess i feel like i approach art with sort of the lens of journalism in a way you know that it, it is kind of inform about things in the world, although art, the things in the world that art presents are maybe a little less concrete than the things that, say, a newspaper presents. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to in- present sort of a larger worldview or the possibility of other worldviews. Th- thanks, Ingrid. It's been a real pleasure working with you. Yeah, you, you as well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This has been really, really fun. <laughs> It's been fun for us too.